0: The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Act
1: Accident. Or injury, call jacob. And
0: Ronnie, call jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend, Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, eight four four twenty four 24 jacob That's eight four four twenty four 24 jacob Or visit CallJacob.com. Hey everybody! Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue
1: Balu, Sue Kalinski. Good morning, Sue. How are you? I'm very well, Stephen. <laughs> so, Stephen Mason. Stephen Mason. So
0: we got to go to the uh, Mandy Awards, which was a spectacular, spectacular event. Sue, what was your ta- the Mandy Awards? By the way, if you're listening from not Los Angeles, it's an award show. For seven ten ESPN, my radio station in Los Angeles, where we give awards to ourselves. That's what it's come to. We're giving awards to ourselves. Sue, what did you think of the show?
1: Well, you know, I went last year to the uh, to the first one. Yep. And um, you guys really uh, stepped it up. You think so? Totally. Um, one thing I have to say, yep. Jorge is your producer is amazing. He is. <laughs> He really is. And it is probably the most professional, silliest award show I've ever been to. <laughs> and by the way,
0: there are a lot of silly award shows, as you know, I know. Um, during yeah. award season. Um, and Jorge Briónis, who's our uh, producer on Mason in Ireland, is also the executive producer of the show. So he's putting together clips and all this stuff. Um, it really, I thought it really turned out great.
1: Yeah, and I love his side comments from the back of the room.
0: Yes, yes. He's (laughs) he's spitballing from the back of the room.
1: Uh, What did you think of my suit? Your suit was, uh, I I thought it was weird. (laughs) 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 But you know what? It was weird, but it just worked with the night because a lot of people wore some very, very crazy ass
0: suits. There was weird stuff. Now, you look beautiful. You
1: uh, you Mm -hmm. dressed up for it. I did. Thank you. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you very much. I got to thank you from the stage, which I really appreciated. And then after the show, some guy came over to the table and said, "Are you Sue Kalinsky from the podcast with Steve?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And he has to take a picture of me. Oh, that's awesome. That was awesome. Cool.
0: So uh, I wanted to bring up uh, something that's been bugging me all weekend long. I got an email from one of the bosses about the award show we were doing and congratulating us and all this stuff. And he used the word irregardless, irregardless. Now, Sue,
1: that is not even a word. It's not because we all know it's irregardless. No. What do you mean? It's just regardless. Oh, 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 okay. There's no such thing
0: as irregardless. Oh, there isn't? No. Think about it in a sentence. Yeah. Regardless.
1: regardless Yeah. It's kind of redundant. It'll be, it would be redundant. Yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 Did you ever use that word? Irregardless? Yeah. No, I haven't.
0: Yeah. It's a terrible word. It's not (laughs) even a word.
1: So, um, how badly did you want to correct him?
0: (laughs) Oh, so bad. And I, and by the way, you know how you have that? There's like 50 people on the email. Um and you know you could reply to all if you wanted to and so <laughs> <laughs> regardless is not a word but I let it slide because it was the big boss but regardless well, yeah. this is a good good piece of advice for everybody out there especially kids if you're writing your term paper irregardless,
1: not a word it's it's funny that you bring this up because Kathy Ledman our good friend Kathy Ledman who's a comedian she was an English teacher prior to doing ah I didn't Standard, know that and there. are are times when I have text her something or someone will write a post on Facebook and she will immediately correct your grammar or really? your spelling. Wow. Yes. And I'm I, glad I just, she's not on mine. I just laugh about it because, you know, she just can't help herself.
0: Yeah. No, I know. I, I I totally get it. We don't, <laughs> like, I write out the word dunno, D-U-N-N-O, dunno. I don't know if someone's coming. <laughs> I I'm sure she would be upset about me using the word d u n n o. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't know if she would be upset with something like that cuz it's, you know, it's slangish, you know. Yeah,
0: right, that's true.
1: <laughs> but but just, you know, misspelling a word or or having uh, improper grammar is um is something that she does not take lightly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and by the way, Facebook known for good grammar.
1: Yeah, People right. People
0: write with good grammar <laughs> yeah, on, right. on Facebook. That's what it's known for. <laughs> so, Sue, so you and I both love our dogs. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got uh, Tucker, who is now mm-hmm. how old? 16 and change. And I've got Sophie, who's 17. And I've got Ron, who's one. And, you know, we'll do anything for our pets, right? To just absolutely anything because they are, both of us are child-free by the way, I like child-free better than child-less. I think child-less sounds like you're missing something. And we decided to be child-free. So we're child-free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, the, all of the child-free pet owners are really embarrassing us. Now, I'm going to put something out there. Pet clothing, okay? Mm-hmm. People who put clothes on their pet. In 2021, how much do you think... The United States sales was for pet clothing in dollars. How much say, do we spend for pet clothes? I would say millions. <laughs> five point two billion dollars. Billion.
1: Now 5. is that, that that's billion? That's just in the United States, or just that's worldwide? Just the United
0: States, yeah. So five point two billion is a gigantic wow. number. That means. Now, I would never dress my pets. Would you, Have you ever dressed your pets? Never,
1: never. Oh, think, the only thing I ever put on my dogs yeah. uh, was a bow tie. Oh, but, well, I mean, that's... Yeah, For it, it was a birthday party for, yeah, for, no, I, for Tom. Yeah, I know that. Sure, you and, want to be and, formal. you know, wanted Tucker to, you know, be a little fancy. Be be a little fancy. But 5.2, I don't know
0: anybody who dresses up their pets. Maybe it's because it's warm here and they don't need coats and jackets
1: and stuff. But it's not even coats and jackets. You know, sometimes you know it's it's a hat with sunglasses. <laughs> like I've seen dogs like that at Venice Beach or or in Santa Monica. Sure, sure. Um, but you know, I I see dogs more often than more often these days. I've seen dogs with uh, little boots or like little, little like little boots, like little sneakers. You know, like high tops. What do dogs need sneakers for? Well, when when we lived in New York and I had Sam. Uh, Sam had never been in snow. Okay. So the they would put um, salt. Yeah, salt on the, on the streets. The, yeah, because it was icy. So the salt would get into the dog's pads. Mm-hmm. So I bought Sam little booties because of that. Okay. But it was it wasn't a fashion statement. Right. But I see people who dress their dogs just like in a shirt. Yeah, <laughs> see, I don't think dogs like it. Oh, I don't think they do. You know, it's kind of like who's it? Robert Klein had that funny joke years ago about uh, elephants. You know, being dressed up, and people were saying, "Oh, that." Oh, no, it was bears. It was like at a circus or something, right? Right. And they were like, "Oh, the bear loves it," and I said, "No, the bear hates it." The <laughs> bear, you know, it's it's just so constraining.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, a lot of money on uh, on dog clothes. If you're, I, I don't mean to offend any you dog clothing people.
1: If you're out there, but okay. stupid. Okay. Stupid. So, okay. So, the humanization of a dog. Okay. Yes. So, there are people that um, have those baby Bjorns. Is that what they're called? That wrap around? You oh, know? yeah. Sure. Right? Sure. And I've seen people with their dog in that.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: And then dogs in strollers. Oh,
0: that's stupid.
1: Like when I see a, someone in my neighborhood walking their dog with a stroller, if the dog is not impaired in any way. Yeah. It's like, I, I just wish that I can, I, I wish I, I, I knew what the dog was thinking. Because well, he sees he sees all the other dogs just walking, you know? Right, right. And it's like, stop embarrassing me. I can walk. Yeah, what well, are that's doing? the whole thing.
0: The idea of taking a dog for a walk is for their exercise, for exactly. their pleasure, for their enjoyment. It's not to put them in a bassinet and roll <laughs> them around the neighborhood. Bassinet. Is that
1: what it's called? Well, yeah. It's it's kind of old-fashioned, but it's something that that you would, like the little rascals would have done.
0: Yeah, crazy. They put a
1: dog, and they make it look like an old man. They have a dog with a cigar and a little (laughs) derby, you know, like a bonnet, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, that's your era. That's from your childhood, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, it's from my era, because I'm 90. (laughs) (laughs) right. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, little rascals. Oh, those old days. Uh, <laughs> all right. Our guest today is a stand up comic. He's an actor. He's a director, probably best known as Raven Simone's dad on That So Raven. He's done over 200 half hour television shows and he's an LA Clippers fan to boot. Rondell Sheridan joins us. Rondell, thanks a lot for doing this, man.
2: I had no choice. Uh, you have naked pictures of me? And uh, I was told by my lawyers, I was, advi- I was advised by my lawyers that I have to do this,
0: so there we go. Sue has the pictures,
2: by the way,
1: <laughs> yeah, she probably does. It's <laughs> circulated everywhere, yes, and I, I couldn't think of a more opportune time to <laughs> yeah, unveil I, them.
2: I tried my hardest to uh get, a, get them out of the trash, uh, and po- repost them, but apparently people shredded <laughs> them.
0: I was so. Uh, so, Rondell, I am always curious. I emailed with you a little bit last night. When I, run I trust
2: in- to the left, if that's what you're asking. I uh, yes, to the left. yes. So, uh,
0: when I run into an L.A. Clippers fan, the story of how that happened to you, how do you become an L.A. Clippers fan? I've been in L.A. 30 years. I'm a Lakers fan. You're from the Midwest, I think, originally. What, what made you adopt the Clippers?
2: So, you've been in L.A. for 30 years. I've been in L.A. for 30, 33 years, something like that. So what happened was I thought I was a huge NBA fan. I thought I was a huge NBA fan. And uh, I got to LA and I knew nothing about the Clippers. And I don't know how that's possible. I think it's because I lived in New York uh, for 10 years and the games were on really late. And they didn't televise much Clippers game. I think I knew one player. And I'm trying to remember what the player I knew that was on the Clippers. But I had no, literally I'd go, is this like a made up team? I had no clue. <laughs> uh, we played in the sports arena, what looked like it was a- amateur hour.
0: It was a dump, man. Uh,
2: yeah. But my manager at the time, Rick Siegel, had got me as a birthday present uh, tickets to uh, season tickets for the Clippers. I got a ticket for him and a ticket for me. And we were 10 rows behind the visitors' bench. And that was cool because we got to see every single team. I was just starting photography, so I was i uh, I bring my camera, I'd shoot as many players as I could. And uh it was kind of it was kind of like when your uncoordinated child gets a hit at T ball, when we would win a game, we'd be like, Ooh, we won. Clippers won a game. <laughs> but we were the punishment team. If you got caught with cocaine or did something illegal, you got sent to the Clippers. They're like, Okay, you're good. We're not gonna kick you out of the league, but we go we're gonna punish you for a while. You know, it's
0: so weird that you say this because last night I was thinking, who what other Clipper fans do I know? And the only name that came to mind was my former manager, Rick Siegel. So you and Rick were going to the games together, huh?
2: I think he's just recruiting. He's the Stengali of Clipper fans. He has a deal. He goes, Slowly, I'm gonna implant people to be Clipper fans.
1: <laughs> well, um, so because they are kind of the they were basically the bastard team in LA. Oh no, they are. Stay no, still. No, no, no. Well, they no, stay still stop. are, but back Last then. Last
2: 10 years, we have spanked the Lakers by 20%.
1: They've won 20, we've won 80% of the game.
2: Yeah. yeah. Right. But I'm yeah. saying
1: is that back then, so what were the ticket prices? Were they considerably less than a Laker game?
2: So I asked Rick why he got the season tickets to the Clippers. And he said, uh, if he had gotten the Lakers, he would have got like a 20 game pack. And for the Clippers, he got a full, a full season tickets. Plus, keep in mind, we were 20 rows behind the visitor's bench.
1: Mm, you yes.
2: Couldn't got that. And then I have another friend of mine who, I don't know, 10 years ago, went to, he's, he's got a name, a star, and went to the Lakers to get a deal and, for tickets, and they gave him something really crappy. And he goes, I could just pick up the phone to the Clippers. This was 10 years ago. He goes, I could just pick up the phone from the Clippers and got a much better package deal. You know, Clippers got, they had, I forgot the channel. What channel are they on? Channel 5, Channel 11. Channel you
0: know? uh, Prime Ticket West or one of yeah, those. Yeah, they, nice.
2: they had a TV deal. They were raking in revenue. They didn't, they don't need anybody. It was corporate money. So I, I got it. I appreciate it.
1: Well, I guess in the early days, you got a season, you got a season pass and a set of knives. <laughs> <laughs> I still have them. They're very sharp. Yes. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you a question because we, because looking at you, you have a framed photo on the credenza. Yeah, I like, okay, 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 now I, I don't know. It looks like either Peter Falk or Mike Connors.
2: Oh, does look like Peter Falk. Falk. Uh, I can show you if you want to see it. Sure, please. I, uh, here's here's a hint: Obama, and it is not Obama. Wow. Okay, hold on. Pull my pants yeah. up. Good thing Obam- I wore pants. Obama, and but not Obama. this was the Obama. reason why I was late.
1: Uh, this. Oh, wow. Muhammad Ali. Boy, was I off. Wow. You, but it, it had the head tilt like, yes. like Colombo.
2: It did yes. look like that.
1: So, so if, you're, if you're listening on the podcast, it's
0: uh, it's the Obama style sort of, uh, what would you call that? The The poster Art, style.
2: It's by the artist um, uh, Farley Shepard, Farley Shepard, Farley Shepard, uh, who did the famous Obama poster. Uh, I have a wall up those stairs, which is a gallery wall of, um, of my, uh, my art, of his art there. And so uh, this morning, uh, I'm having some closets installed. I have a bunch of things done to the house, and I just got home late last night. So um, I got an email from the accountant. Uh, uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning say, hey we're open for pickups at 7.30 But I didn't get this message until 9 So I got dressed Zipped and run and picked up all this art And so that was the last piece But when we started I was going to point out I was like I'm not flexing That there's a piece of art right there <laughs> like they, they won't notice Yeah I just put it there because I didn't feel like walking upstairs
1: So I have known you A very very long time I met you yeah, You in probably the- know things
2: about me that other people don't know
1: well, I do know one thing that I'm sure a lot of people don't know, and I'm going to bring it up.
2: That involve a woman of some kind?
1: No. Good. So, well, yeah, I guess I guess a woman, but but not uh, a a live woman. Oh. And I know that sounds weird. So anyway, you're were, you were digging the f- in the garbage can. Okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, the first time, so we met in the '80s at the Improv. Yes. both comics. And you and, pseudo lived around the corner from yes, me. Yes, because when I was with Kenny, Kenny lived yes. around the corner from me. So exactly, the that, first that. time I went to your apartment, you had a party and you had this really, really cool apartment. Is that the um,
2: one that was in the village?
1: No, no, right a- around the corner from Kenny. On you oh, 90- on uh, that
2: apartment, the duplex with the balcony? Y- yes. Oh, wow. I don't even remember that. You okay. had a
1: party. And um, I didn't really know much about your life. I just knew that you were a comedian. I knew that you liked to ride a bicycle. I knew that you you know, were on the softball team, the improv softball team, but I really didn't know anything personal about you. So when you walked into your apartment, it was a very narrow hallway and you had art, like unbelievable art everywhere. So I know that you've been an art collector forever, but the one piece that you had, it was a bust of a woman's bust uh, and and, I still have that piece. Okay. And the yes. breasts like really stuck out far. And the, yes. and the hallway was very narrow. And that's like the first thing that you encountered when you walked in. And I said to you, Rondell, this is what you open with? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you that's remember that's me perfect. saying that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but you ha- you have such an amazing collection of art. Where did that come from? And how long have you been collecting art?
2: Uh, I don't. I don't do drugs. Occasionally, I might smoke a joint, but uh, I don't. I'm not a big drinker. Don't go to strip clubs. Don't go to bars. Between the Clippers and going to concerts, uh, and clothes. If you know me, I'm into clothes. My disposable income are things that make me happy and things that that I like, and um, I go through cyclically. Cyclically. Uh, things in my life and um, that was the beginning stage. I worked this club in uh, in uh Denver and I met this woman who worked at this art gallery and she turned me on to that artist, uh, which then led me down the rabbit hole of other art that I liked. But at home, my mom had these lithographs, you know, bland stuff that your parents would put up. I can't even remember what they were, but I just... I don't even think they were signed in number. They were just art lithograph that was just there. I don't think I got an art cue from any person. Like there was not, there was not a rondelle in my life where I went to someone's house and I go, Oh wow. They collect art. This is really great. I just, I liked it. I put it up, but it, um, that was it. What's the, uh, what's the piece that you love the most? <sighs> the piece, Two pieces that I love the most that I no longer have because Rondell was bad in the early '90s and didn't pay his taxes. <laughs> I had two Warhols that were the Mick Jagger Warhols. Whoa! And wow. uh, uh, Warhol did ten pieces. They're the only collection that Warhol did that's signed by Warhol and the subject. So there are ten uh, uh, Mick Jagger. Um, Pieces and I had two of them. Um, and in the in early like 1991, I came out to L.A. Maybe 91. I had to sell them. Those I wish I still had. And and I still like I can't pick up a Warhol book and look at it, and because it just reminds me of what I had. Hmm. But um, um, I like the the Obey collection that I that I have. Um, looking at new artists, and then also when I was in high school, I used to. <sighs> I guess you can kind of make this connection Sue, but I don't, I don't know. I used to paint, uh, I painted horribly. I dated this woman um, who went to the art Institute, the Chicago art Institute, who, who studied art. And uh, I entered uh, an art show, the Chicago art show. And I uh, got to see other people. And then I, I just stopped. And slowly um, Raven went back to school to get her degree in, in art. Uh, and then the little girl who plays my uh, 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 Mimi, who plays my granddaughter on the show, uh, she's starting to draw now, and it's just by osmosis. I have over there like three, four boxes of uh, art pens that I'm just, I'm just. Oh, and it's also I went to the ba- Basquiat show. Uh, if you haven't been, um, that's really. I know I'm, I'm going on so many different. Uh, that's okay. Um, the Basquiat show is is incredible, and it's incredible because I have some Keith Haring collection. Uh, I had been at parties twice where Warhol was there, and I had no knowledge of Basquiat until 89. And I think he'd already passed away. And I go, I felt about that when I went to the to the to the gallery showing for Basquiat. I go, I would bet I was at parties that Basquiat was at. Because wow. I've been at, at parties where, like I said, where Warhol was at. I bet you Basquiat was at those parties. But I had no clue who he was until like
1: 89 or so. How did you end up at a party where Warhol was?
2: Keep in mind for five years, six and years. And you didn't do I, drugs. No, I did not. Uh, uh, um, I lived on the Lower East Side. I lived on a house in an Avenue B uh, through Phil Knee. Uh, we, Phil would you know all these eclectic little parties that would go into abandoned warehouses and stuff. And uh, it's just about where I live. Sometimes I'd go by the Keith Haring uh, 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 Gallery, and uh, I'd, I'd see a note or a flyer about some place, and I would just go to. It was weird because I really didn't have any comedy. My closest comedy buddy where I hung out socially was Phil and Me, We liked art. We liked sci-fi. We liked clothes, stuff like that. But there was no one else that I could hang with that would go, hey, have you checked out this? Have you checked out that?
0: So, Well, let's do a little comedy. Don't so uh, so you did the uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yes. And
2: that, was, I... that was the only reason. Uh, so I used to write music. My goal to write music was to write a song as good as uh, uh, Always and Forever. I wanted to write a song as good as that. That never, never happened. Never came close to it. Uh, but my comedy goal was to do the Tonight Show. That was it. My my goal, Mecca, and and because I was in New York, I knew, I just knew I wasn't a David Letterman comic, even though um, uh, uh, Ray Romano made it to Letterman, and we were kind of similar in our style. Uh, and I was like, well, Ray made it for Letterman, why? And I just went, you know what, I'm a Tonight Show guy. I'm going to really try for the Tonight Show. And so that was um, my, my little story of what happened with that. A friend of mine, uh, Debbie DuPerry, knew, um, I can't think of who the booker was for- uh, Jim yeah,
1: McCauley. McCauley.
2: So she knew Macaulay. And when I said I was going out, she goes, uh, when you get out there, call McCauley." Uh, and I went, okay. And so I was there for about a week and a half, about a week. And uh, um, I didn't call him. At all, and by that time I'd been there for three days, and I, I went by the store. I set up an audition at the store. I did my set, and I remember when I was waiting outside, Chris Rock and a, bu- a bunch of other people walked by, and they go, "What are you doing out here?" I go, "Like I'm standing where where people who pay to go to see the show stood," and they're like, "Rondo, why are you there?" And I go, "Because I'm auditioning," and they go, "For the store? Why are you auditioning for the store? Because that's the only way I'm going to get in," and they were like, "Okay." So I do my set. I had a great set, Um, and I called the next day to say, um, "What uh, you know? Was there any feedback?" And the guy put me on hold. He came back and he said, "Mitzi said she didn't see anybody that that night that she sparked to." So that Mm -hmm. was it. And I was cool with that because if I had a crystal ball and knew that's what the comment was going to be, I couldn't have done a better set. I could have done other material, but it would have been the same flavor. And I'm like, okay, fine. And then a week and a half later, I got the tonight show. So mm-hmm. I've never I never looked back. At so that what's moment. it
0: like as you as you're behind those curtains and you're waiting to go on to the mm-hmm. stage mm-hmm. and you know, like this <laughs> culmination of a dream? Every was it everything you hoped for?
2: Uh, it was easier than what I hoped for, but I, I had a game plan and I realized. I don't know anybody else who did my game plan. I tell this to people now. I go, if you're going to do TV for the f- first time, I suggest you do what I did, but um, so when I get nervous on stage, I talk really fast, and I'm aware mm. of it. Uh, it's it's the nervous tell that I have. Um, so keep in mind, I've done evening, uh, evening at the Improv, I've done Rosie's show, I did up, Sit Down, I did every single thing that was on Comedy Central. I think at that time I already had two Showtime specials. So, but none of those was my bucket list, you know, top of the list doing the Tonight Show. So what I started doing was I did that set for the Tonight Show. I think I did it 23, 24 times. Mm. Um, I would uh, only perform it when the crowd sucked. (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to put myself in the worst situation possible because, you know, and the only the only caveat was they would say Rondo Sheridan in, uh, you know, in three weeks is going to be doing the Tonight Show. Introduce me. So I came back to, to New York and mainly it was the comedy cellar. And Sue, you know, when the when the audience would change at the comedy cellar, like around, I don't know, during the week. 10 o'clock, 10, 15 or so it would suck for like half an hour. And then all of a sudden, bam, it would pick back up. I would go on there. And I got to the point where I was the guy who turned the night around, even though it was only six minutes set, it was just like, bam. And I got more and more comfortable with that more and more comfortable with that. And then, uh, when I got there for the tonight show, uh, I had made it a, a goal of mine to help out any comic who um, was doing The Tonight Show. So I came out early uh, just as a look-see, just to you know see what was going on. And uh, Mario Joyner, I did that too. And there was another comic that I said, hey, I'm just going to be there to hold your hand. Let me iron your shirt. Mario, I ironed your shirt for him before the thing. I go, we're going to talk about anything but comedy. Just... Just keep it light. Like you don't want to be the person in the dressing room. Hey, are you nervous? Are you nervous? <laughs> no. I get those people out of there. I, I don't want to see anybody who's going to say that. So, um, but I was there. My, my agents and stuff came, and I said, "Hey, let me just have the space." And I remember I was just sitting in my dressing room, and uh, Macaulay walked in, and he goes, "Hey, you all set?" And I go, "Yeah." He goes, "So somebody walked you out out to the stage?" And I go, "No." And he goes, "What?" And he goes, "Nobody walked you out?" And I go. No. He goes, oh, Jesus. He goes, come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And he, he goes, Oh, OK, they've already loaded in the audience. And he goes, OK. He said, I don't want the audience to see you uh, as you, you know, I'm just dressed in jeans and T-shirt there. And he goes, I don't want them to see you before. He goes, so this is what we're going to do. He goes, we're going to walk out backwards and I'm going to point up at the lights like we're lighting text. And we're going to point there and there, and you just stand next to me. And just he goes, don't let the audience see you at all. So we do that. And uh, I remember he goes, okay. So we're now our backs into the audience. He goes, okay. That's Johnny's desk over there. There, and he goes, you see that star right there? And I go, yeah. He goes, that's Johnny's mark. Whatever you do, do not stand on that mark. And then he walks me several feet over, and he goes, okay. This is where you stand. And I go, okay, cool. And I'm my backs to the audience. I look down one time. I go, great. So we go back and I go change. And then uh, he comes by, knocks on the door, and he says, Hey, he goes, I hate to do this to you. He said, But um, we're not sure when you're going to go on. He said, We're either going to do a sketch and you're going to go on, or you're going to go on and we're going to do the sketch afterwards. And he Mm -hmm. goes, We're playing this by ear right now. So I need you to come out now. And you're either going to be waiting backstage when they do the sketch, or you're gonna be backstage and boom, and go on. So I go, okay, cool. So we're there, we're just chopping it up, chopping it up, and uh, they wind up doing the sketch. So I'm now backstage, just waiting. And uh, he goes, are you nervous? And I go, no, I'm not. And then he uh, he goes, hmm, interesting. He goes, I only know one other comic who uh, 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 wasn't nervous before his first Tonight Show. And I said, "Who is it?" And he said, "Who it was?" I'm not going to say who it was because he's passed and mm. not funny. Shade because the next thing he said was, "So as he's saying this, I'm hearing my introduction." So he goes, "Huh, interesting." Um, I could hear Johnny goes, uh, comedian making his debut," and he goes, "I only know one other comedian, but uh, who wasn't nervous." Uh, Johnny Carson goes, "Rondell Sheridan," and McCully says, "But he's not funny." <laughs> <laughs> and then I walked on stage. So if you see me walk on stage, I'm laughing at what Macaulay just told me. And it is now the first time that I've seen the stage from where the angle that I should see the stage. And I have no clue where my mark is on the floor. So I'm kind of doing this little serpentine dance. <laughs> And my monologue in my head is, don't get on Johnny's mark. Don't get on Johnny's mark. But I was so com- comfortable that I didn't ad lib off of a line. My first line is, um, "I'm in love," and uh, people applauded. And I said, "Nope, I don't need your sympathy." And that was not in the act. That huh. was Club Rondell just went and in that second my brain went whoa whoa slow down slow down you're doing this and not you know I'm like hey where are you from <laughs> And but it was just great it gave me that first little lie hey i don't need your sympathy and then i just kept going into the bit so it was uh it was great and then they, the uh, really great thing was he had told me to turn to look at johnny But I was in that moment of, you know, getting applause and everything. And what Johnny had been doing, he's smart enough. He's done this a lot. People don't look. So he gives the okay. He goes, Johnny was given, gave four fake okays. Mm. I didn't turn, but Johnny's smart enough. Camera's going to be him. He gives one of those. So uh, I finally turned to look and got that. But I didn't know until afterwards it was like that. And I used to do this bit about ma, 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 ma. And Macaulay came back to the dressing room. He said, Johnny was in the back. He was in uh, his dressing room. He went, ma, 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 ma. <laughs> so that, uh-huh. was cool. that was cool. That is so, cool. So, how,
1: so how much did that change your life um, as far no, as? Not it changed either no, lives.
2: But like as far lives. as
1: uh, bookings and money on No, the road. that was 94. I think when
2: people talk about, I'm curious. I think when people talk about it changing their lives, like with Brad Garrett and those guys, I think it was five, six years earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it was pre, HBO, Showtime, uh, and it it set people off that because Vegas and touring was the big was the big deal.
0: So you did a comedy tour called "If You're Over Forty and You Know It, Clap Your Hands." Yes,
2: so that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing now.
0: Okay, good. So it's for a- for you, what is the hardest part of getting older?
2: Uh, uh you're talking to somebody who has two hip replacements oh uh yeah i got my first one in 2005 on my left and now two years ago i finally got the right one done um that uh being pain-free um uh um what else getting up in the middle of the night to pee multiple times (laughs) your sleep is off uh yeah i pretty much
0: pee in morse code at this point (laughs) <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm blessed. I don't. I don't have that. I'm just when it's time to go, it's time to go. You know what but I hate? Uh, I hate we're on
0: Zoom right now. I hate this thing. You know, whoa. like this thing in my neck,
2: the the see, tendon or whatever this, that this, is. See, you need to be fat all your life. So you don't get this. You get these little now. you slim out? You get these these tree lines and telling you how old the tree neck rings <laughs> tell you true. how old you are. Yeah. True. Well, see, you see know a lot of get that turkey gobbler. That, right. Yeah. Well, a lot of
1: women wear wear scarves. So you yes. have to start. You have to start wearing an aspect. And then when you stage. wear the
2: scarves, people know. They go, you're wearing the scarf. You yeah, know I'll right. be Peter Bogdanovich. It's I'll roll with that It's like when you would have a cold sword, you'd wear that that bandage on the corner. We know you got a cold sword, Okay, you're not hiding. <laughs> Okay, I'll just that.
1: So, what now? Now, what time? When you say you know your sleep changes, what time do you wake up in the morning?
2: Well, I wake up in the middle of the night. Um, I used to write, and I'm going to go back writing. I uh, I sold my house in the hills in 2002, 2000, uh, uh, two years ago, 2021. Is that right? And then I bought a new house. That year, uh, I lived in it like a homeless person for a year. I'm not making this up. There was no furniture in the house. I lived in one room mm. because I knew I was going to gut remodel the house to the studs. So last July, gutted this entire house. Um, and so, um, but before then, I used to write uh, screenplays. And um, I found the best time was when my sleep was. I'd w- I will wake up four 5 o'clock in the morning and I'll be up for a couple of hours. And so I would start writing. I'd write then. Cause it's quiet. I learned from hearing uh, writers. A lot of writers find writing on a plane is so great. And the reason why you're in your own cocoon, you're on your yeah. own bubble. There's not a phone. There aren't birds chirping. There's nothing. And you can zero in on what you're writing. So I do that on planes. I didn't realize how big a deal it was. And then I write, uh, when I wake up in the morning, uh, when I wake up until about seven thirty or so, and then I go back to sleep and try to wake up for sports center at noon. And, uh, you it. know, there's
0: this new thing called deep work. Have you heard about deep work? No, this is where you turn absolutely everything off, uh, audio, video, phone, everything. And you just focus on one thing for like, huh. however long it takes. They're calling it deep work. All the kids are doing this now, Rondo.
2: You know, I don't want to sound like the get off my lawn, old man. I'm not buying anything that the kids say right now. I'm not. Uh, It sounds really great. But my only thing is I always need music in my life. So unless I'm editing some video, uh, uh, normally I'll have music on. And I find it's really what I find really great is every time I work on a new script, I make a new music playlist of music that I'd want in that movie that I'm working and that I've been telling that to a couple of writers and they're like, wow, that's really genius. I go, cause I, I like to write sci-fi. So I just have tons of music that I go, Oh, this would be great to have in this scene. And then that just keeps me zoned in. So I guess in a way it's kind of this thing, it's about just added music to it. Yeah. Deep I work. can't have any distractions that- at all.
1: No distractions at all. I can't hear Music. I can't hear people talking. You like,
2: almost made me write a joke right now. It's like uh, you carry that to your sex life. I can't have any distractions. I can't have music. The lights on. I can't have another person there. It just
1: has. To be. <laughs> Sometimes with sex, I can't have another person there. <laughs> There's
2: too many people in this room. Someone has to leave. <laughs>
1: So I want to say that you have the actor's gift that keeps on giving with um, That's So Raven. So you started, tell me if this is correct. You started in 2003, was that? Is that correct? I thought it was
2: 2000. It was a year after 9-11. So 9-11, 2001?
1: Yep. Yes, yes. So it started in 2002. Okay, so you started in 2002.
2: So it aired in 2003, yes. Oh, okay. Oh, wait a minute. It aired... Yeah, so the timing for that for all of us is weird. So we started doing this show. Well, uh, go finish your question because there's more to this. It's a
1: complicated. Well, thing. I was just going to yes. say that twenty years later, you're still the dad and now the grandfather.
2: I am the um, longest running male character on the history of the Disney Channel. Wow, so uh, yeah. uh, uh,
1: unbelievable. And who, so, who knew? so how old was Raven when you first started? She's fourteen years old. She's fourteen. Um, I
2: saw, so what happened was we did our first season. During our season, we were supposed to air. Like, I think we'd started in, I don't know, started in July. I'm just guessing. And we were supposed to air in October or November. And they pushed it back. So we're still in production and the show is supposed to air. And it gets pushed back. Push back October, push back November, push back January, push back March, push back April. And it was getting frustrating uh, because I'm going to say this one thing. I knew by the third or fourth episode, there's an episode, the first season in which Raven um, gets in trouble at school and her parents have to show up to the parents teacher conference with the with the with the teacher. So she doesn't tell us that she acted up. So she disguises as her mom and goes to school. So, Raven's wearing this fat suit to go to school to pretend to be her mom. Hmm. And so, I'm watching this. It had to be our third episode. I'm watching a scene of a 14 year old kid. And in the middle of the scene, she kicks her sh- leg up. The shoe goes through four cameras, like you, it doesn't go out of frame. All four cameras, you see a shoe spin through the set off the set. You can't miss. There's not a take they can take that you <laughs> don't see the shoe fly. Now, most actors would, because you need the shoe to keep going. Yep. Most actors would stop, would just kind of, she kept her like, as it was a really animated thing what she was doing. She kept talking, walked off the set, got her shoe, walked back, she's still doing her lines, put the shoe back on, Keeps going. Mm. I saw that and I went, oh, this kid is... This is not a 14-year-old kid. This is Mickey Rooney. This is this is an adult pretending to be a 14-year-old child. Yeah, she's a pro, right? Age. And well, at that point, I kept trying. I had no pull. It wasn't going to happen. But I was lobbying with Disney. I go, you own uh, uh, Disney's uh, family. Uh, what was that? Uh, whatever that channel that they had. Freeform." Huh? Was it preform? No, no, it was, um, it was, um, anyway, and they also had ABC. So I go, why don't you put this on Friday nights? There's so many formats that you can put this on because this is a show that adults will watch this show because yep. it's not written like a regular kid's show. Um, and so what happened was the reason they kept pushing us back was that they kept testing the show. So they tested it the first time. They're like, no, these numbers can't be right. No, this can't be right. They tested again. And then also, we were in foreign markets where there were no black people. Mm. We went to Disney Asia. They didn't know how Asia would respond to, because we said, I forgot how many records. We were the first uh, Disney show with the black lead, first Disney show with the black family, first live action show, first four, cam- not live action, first four camera show. First show with a live audience for Disney. And there was one other thing that we were the first. So Disney was nervous on a bunch of different things. Uh, so we were, I, I don't know, by the third by the 3rd show, we were a hit. Um, it just spoke to, and also what I didn't know was I had auditioned for them. Um, I was doing a talk show at the time. I was doing Minute for Mars and Women from Venus. And the uh, manager had called and said, hey, you got an audition for Disney. And I go, oh, that's weird. Because also I had done Cousin Skeeter, a Nickelodeon show for three years. And normally they do not. If you're on Nickelodeon, you're on Nickelodeon. If mm. you're on Disney, you're on Disney. You do not. And I didn't find out later that there was a big thing of, you know, we don't. why do we want to see this guy? So anyway, I had an audition for this show. And uh, Raven Simone was in it. She played my daughter. I was a chef. Um, and I came from work and it was just a meeting. And I love meetings. I don't know if as an actor, you got an audition. When you come in for a meeting, it's a whole different vibe. I got my head up, smoking a cigar. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so uh I was there for about 45 minutes. I remember watching all the other actors and I kept checking the sheet, the call sheet. I'm like, oh, nobody's auditioning for my role. Okay, so they're serious. So about five minutes before I, I'm supposed to meet with them, one of the PAs comes to me and go, Ronda, I'm really sorry. But uh, they want you to read. And I go, what? I've been here 45 minutes, man. If you wanted me to read, you sh- should have told me this 45 minutes ago. And so I took the sides. I did it. And it was a very complicated scene. I remember I'm making a cake. I'm talking to someone on a on speakerphone. And I'm talking to my daughter. So that's not a casual scene. for comedy. No. you got to be very specific. And I'm just trying to wing it. So I get in the car and I call Rick and I tell Rick the situation. And the first thing out of his mouth was, you didn't audition, did you? And I go, (laughs) yeah, I didn't know you could not do that. And what I could have said was, so any actors out there, hey, this is really funny piece. Can I please take this home overnight and I'll come back tomorrow and I'll do this for you. Can I please do this? I could have done that. Yeah. Uh, But uh, Rick said, don't worry about it. Let me find out what they thought. And he said, well... They thought you were funny, but they're going in a different direction. And I go, okay, cool. So about four months later, I get a phone call. And uh, Rick goes, hey, you got an audition for Disney. And I go, huh. Well, somebody thought it was worthwhile to have to see me again. So I go, and I get the sides, and it's a completely different thing. And I'm telling a story. So soon you know I'm a storyteller. This story was great. I put embellishments in this story. I put songs in this story, everything in it, but it was organic and it just was really great. I remember telling my girlfriend at the time, I'm either going to get this or they're going to call my agent and go, was he on crack? What was he doing? I literally (laughs) was that confident on that. And so but the the sides that I was reading smelled funny. And I remember I went to the person at the audition room and there was tons of people. Michael Dorn was there. There were a ton of people in that room. And uh, I remember going, am am I a chef in this? And she said, yeah. And I said, is Raven Simone my daughter? And she said, yeah. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on because this is not the project that I read four months ago. And I know they did a pilot for that project, and I'm confused. But the best confidence that I ever had, um, second best confidence I ever had in an audition, I walked around and no shade to Michael Dorn and the other people that were there, but this is comedy. And I'm looking around, all these guys are going, You're better actors than me. You're better looking than me, but none of y'all are funny. Not one <laughs> of you guys are fun. And I just nailed it. I said, hey, If you've ever auditioned for something, And you can tell when you get laughs where they're not expecting to get laughs. Right. That's what I was doing. And I go, I got this. I yeah, they weren't expecting to get a laugh from there. And so um, two months went by and I called Rick and I go, what's going on? They love you, but you got to go to network. And I hate going to network. Um, And so finally I went to network and that was, that's a whole different story. Uh, And it was great. And so. Now 20 happened.
1: years later, 20 years yeah, later. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, the best thing in my life, uh, whenever three times in my life, someone has began the phone conversation with, are you sitting down? And it every single, normally that is not a good conversation. Are you sitting down? It's right. not a good conversation. All three times, knock on wood. It has been really great. And so, um, we finished with that. So Raven, uh, about four months later, I was at home. Rick called me, he goes, you sitting down? I go, yeah. And he goes, Disney wants to do a spinoff with you and Kyle for recording the house. And I go, okay. Um, some other thing that happened in my life where I got you sitting down and then, um, and some other things have happened, but Raven's thing was completely different. I just, I was, uh, in the process of selling my house and I was seeing a house and I looked and the phone says Raven. And I go, hey, what's up? And she goes, she goes, what you doing? And I go, what? I go, I'm, well, I'm looking at houses. She goes, you still acting? And I go, yeah, what you hear? Are you still acting? And I go, yeah. She goes, where are you living? I go, I'm looking at a house. I'm looking at the valley. You, so you're not moving. And I go, yeah. So you stay and you're acting. And I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Click. Huh. Right. I'm looking at my phone. That was Raven. What is going on? So my real estate agent, she's here on the other side of the conversation. She goes, who was that? I go, it was Raven. She goes, what was the conversation? I go, I don't know. So two months ago, I was working on a project with her. And I go, hey, by the way, <laughs> um, you called me. Apparently, there was on some medications or something. <laughs> what was going on? Do you want to be on the show? So did you want me to guest on the show? And she goes, no, I was offering you a role. Sherry's regular. I go, on what show? She goes, my show, Raven's Home. I go, how is that possible? Victor Baxter lives in San Francisco. You're in Chicago. What am I missing here? And she goes, you have a heart attack. I have to go back to San Francisco to take care of you. I bring the kids. My kids go to the high school I used to go to. I move back into the house. I go, oh, this is genius. And that was it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing.
0: That's amazing. And now 200... I read, 200 half-hour episodes of television. 200 plus, I would imagine, right? Yeah. And then Ray
2: is the first person to uh, go over 100 episodes on two different Disney channels. And just how many women have do that? How many women have had lead in 200-episode shows? Yeah, yeah. Um, So um, she's just... She's a, she's a force. She's a beast. She is just, um, you know, her role models are Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett and she understands old school. She understands where comedy, she's just, she just soaks up comedy. Yeah. It's, that's just it's that's amazing. Great. You
1: have, you have been her father for, you know, pretty much 20 years, even though there were some breaks in between. I mean, do you, do you kind of feel like you're her dad? <laughs> uh...
2: Oh, I, I did you ever see the um, the uh, uh, Lucille Ball movie? The one that um, the Australian actress played Lucille Ball? It was like two years ago. Yeah, that was... Oh, yeah. uh, Nicole Kidman. In the Ricardos. Yeah, Nicole. yeah. I realized watching that movie, and I told Raven that, because she didn't want to watch it, because she goes, how can Nicole Kidman play Lucille Ball? I go, it's a different. It's different. It's not... It's, it's all behind the scenes. It's not what you think, that it's in front of the camera. And I realized... I played the Fred Mertz character and I always have, I've been that confident confidant that just has old school knowledge that goes, you know, occasionally I'll say, you know, you might not want to do that. And that's meaning not something for the show, uh, but just in life or, you know, give some thought to why you're doing X, Y, and Z. But, um, um, yeah, but you know, it's funny when she was 14, she told me, she might have been 15 when she told me this. She said, I'm just going to give you a heads up. That, and that we were really close when she, when she was on the show. I was, she was probably the closest person. Not probably. She was the closest person I that I was to on that show to the entire cast. And uh, she had said at some point, she goes, I'm just going to give you a heads up that when this show is over, we'll probably never speak again. She goes, I'm really like that. I, she goes, I hold friends during that time. And then I don't talk to them. And I go, no, uh-uh. That's not happening. I got your number. I got, I know when your birthday is. I know stuff about you. It's not going to happen. And I, you know, I always check in, always email. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's
0: awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome.
2: Well, listen, this has been,
0: uh, fan- you are an amazing storyteller. Uh, loved, I just uh, think I talk a lot. Yeah, so. no, loved, loved hearing all of it, man. We really appreciate Is there anything... I mean any dates you want to talk any when's the show? Well, I t- don't
2: know. You know, I saw that. you was that Samantha? Yeah, Samantha. Yeah, so Samantha sent me the thing twice and I know she was thinking I, I didn't respond. I saw it because I don't know how soon this is gonna air. So I could give you a club date, but if it doesn't air, it's too late, then I would go. So I'd rather yeah, don't worry about it.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, on tour.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Starting in two weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Rondell, this has been great. Thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. This was fun. There you have it. There is Rondell Sheridan. And it reminds, you know, I also got many brochures for many acting schools and uh, couldn't really decide on one. So I went into radio instead.
1: (laughs) Is that that what happens? Yes, Yes. that's what happens. You know, it's like uh, those who can't do. Teach. Those who can't do teach become guidance counselors. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's it. Uh,
0: I'm in show business, but uh, barely in show business. Show
1: business adjacent.
0: Exactly. So do you own any art? He was talking about his art pieces. Do you own any art?
1: Um. Yeah, I, I actually have one piece that I got at a gallery in Laguna. Um, I don't even know the artist's name, but it was the first piece of art we bought for this particular house. And, uh, it's a beautiful oil of a tricycle. Um, but cool. I don't, I don't really, um, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't have, uh, you know, I don't have like a ton of money to buy. He's art. talking
0: Basquiat's and oh, Warhol's. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, he's just in a different, I, I do have one piece. I've got a. Uh, have got two pieces actually. I've got a Laddie John Dill. I don't know if you know who that is, uh, but really great mixed media artist. And then I've got a painting called, um, The Flowers, and it is painted by the great uh, West Coast artist known as Steve Mason. I've got a a painting that I did myself, (laughs) and it hangs in a prominent place in our house.
1: Have you ever seen it? I think I have.
0: Oh, it's pretty brilliant. I wonder if Rondell wants to buy it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I have an original Steve Mason.
0: Hey, I got a painting for you. Uh, All right, there you have it. Hey, thanks a lot for watching on YouTube. Don't forget you should subscribe to our YouTube channel um, and you can always watch the shows here now. Also, Spotify, Apple, you can subscribe to the podcast through any of the podcast platforms that are out there. Sue Kalinske, great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.